Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a secret agent? Well, today I'm talking with Robin Dreek, a retired special agent and former head of the behavioral analysis program at the FBI. He's also an author and published several books with another one coming soon. In this episode, we dive deep into his career with tips and tricks to living a better life. I can't wait for you to listen. Welcome to Career Talks. So let's have Robin introduce himself. My name is Robin Dreek, and I am now retired FBI counterintelligence special agent and former head of the behavioral analysis program, author of the Code of Trust, founder of People Formula, and there you go, <laughs> in a nutshell. Before we got into his work for the FBI, we had a long talk about his work publishing books. I can imagine that when you put out a book, there's bound to be negative people on the internet giving you reviews. I wanted to know what that was like coming from the perspective of an author. Every single human being on this planet, we crave affiliation and we crave being valued by others because we want to belong to meaningful groups and organizations. Because our ancient tribal man, if you were not part of a, a tribe of some sort and had affiliations, um, the likelihood of your survival and passing on your genetic coding was slim to none. And so as a result of that in today's society, you know, we fear rejection. We fear being judged. Um, that's why we're addicted to having likes, you know, on Facebook or, or any other of the media platforms, because we want to be accepted non-judgmentally for our thoughts, opinions and ideas. And so, yeah. So the first time, you know, I, I put an article out there, it was a, a little intimidating, um, but not too bad because you don't get a lot of direct feedback unless it's positive. Uh, I'm doing an article. But yeah, when I put my first book out there, you know, you become relentlessly glued to comments and reviews. A lot of Robin's books talk about things that could really transform your life if you heard them for the first time. I asked him, did anyone ever come up to you and tell you that their life had changed because of your books? That's a very nice, nice question to ask, but yeah, it, it has. And it's in my, in my own life as well. And I wasn't born doing these things. I, I live it. You know, it's become muscle memory. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 I learned to do these things because I wanted to do well at my job. And but these how to deal with people and how to create healthy relationships affects every aspect of your life. Um, I have, I, I refuse to have anything but healthy relationships in my life um, because they're calm. Uh, it doesn't create any emotional hijacking or brain noise. I refuse to have um, anger, frustration, uh, resentment, um, all the, all the negative emotions. When you have them in your brain, you can't see, you know, options. You can't see opportunities. You can't create health uh, when you actually have those negative emotions towards yourself or towards anyone else. That must be so cool knowing that you have changed lives for the better. Now I wanted to talk about Robin's career in the FBI. In order to be the head of the behavioral analysis program, I knew he had an interesting path leading up to that point. I wanted to know what his childhood was like. So when I was young, um, we had a friend of the family that was a, uh, a, a retired Navy fighter pilot, and he flew A-4 Skyhawks off an aircraft carrier during Vietnam. He then went on to become a United Airlines pilot. And when we would go visit their house, you know, he had a nice house. They had an in-ground pool in the background, and this was in the 70s when, you know, the economy was pretty bad. And and his I Love Me room and his house with all the photos of him flying planes and everything, that to me was the coolest dang thing I've ever seen. And so from that point on, I wanted to go to the Naval Academy. I wanted to become an aerospace engineer. I wanted to become a Navy pilot, Blue Angel, and astronaut. And so 
And that's why I laugh because how do you take over the behavioral analysis program? Easy. I failed at all those, all those things. <laughs> um, and so, it, you know, it really came down to, as I've reflected years later, I had, you know, I've, my parents, um, two blue collar people that, you know, we didn't have very much money growing up and they just had a tremendous work ethic. Um, they never made excuses for what we had or didn't have. They just leaned in every day. You know, my mom worked two or three jobs. My dad, you know, worked hard in retail, you know, you know, he's, you know, in department stores, basically. Um, and my mom just did every single odd job because she worked at Burger King. She was a playground aide in a school. She tutored kids on the side, you know, and never once did I ever remember my parents complaining about anything. They just leaned in and dealt with life as it came at them. And I think that's kind of um, probably what gave me the drive to do what I wanted to do is because, you know, hey, life comes at you. Lean in or don't. It's a choice. And you, it's the greatest thing I think about being human and being and being here is that we have the power of context. We have the power to shift our perception of the world to anything we want. We, you know, that's why some people see a glass half full. Some people see a glass half empty. It's exactly the same thing materially, but how we view that and how we view every situation is completely independent and we and we can totally control it. So I that's why part of my mantra of how I, I view things is I fear no loss and I fear no change. I, I think, you know, for myself, you know, life's a, a great journey. You can either sprint down the, the path to have all these great experiences or you can slow down and not move at all. That's complete choice. And, and how you engage every situation is complete choice. That was awesome to hear about his growing up impacting the rest of his life. One thing that I noticed was that Robin was so articulate and humble with the way he spoke about things. I asked him, was he always like this? When you're younger and you're first in a job market and, and you think you know everything, you know, like when I first came in the FBI and even the Marine Corps, I was like, hey, I got this down. Shut up and get out of my way. I know what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, that, that type A, you know, hard charger comes out. And, you know, I was I created some humbling moments in my life a few times, very reflective each time I did. You know, I took accountability for my actions, but it was one of those things that later on I started realizing, no, that was creating some unhealthy drama because of how aggressive I might have been or, or relentless I might have been to people. That's such an important lesson. I've definitely been humbled several times in my life, and sometimes it's important for that to happen. So Robin attended the Naval Academy. Life at a military academy is completely different for students compared to non-military colleges. They teach you a lot about discipline and demand a ton out of you, from my understanding. I wanted to know what you learned from going to a school like that. Probably the greatest thing I learned at the academy was tolerance and understanding and acceptance of others that are different than me. Um, because when you are living in very close confines with people, you become... It, it, you become family. It's the best way to put it. You're you're not quite brothers and sisters, but you're more than friends because you probably wouldn't choose to be friends with these people outside of this environment. But you're forced to be close. Um, so it's a really kind of different experience. And if you go into it thinking that you know if you're not like me, you're you must be wrong. Um, you're going to be humbled pretty quick uh, and pretty relentlessly. So. I think that's probably the greatest thing I took away was, you know, learning that learning how to focus on the strengths of others rather than their deficiencies, because we all have insecurities and we're all working on something. I take it for granted. I don't try to look for them. I never see them anymore. All I do is I, my natural reaction now is always to seek your strengths because they're there. It's my job to find them so I can actually understand, you know, how you're moving through life and what can I do to be a resource for you? 
As our conversation went on, we talked a lot about how important organization was in our lives. Here's what he had to say about it. Maturity comes through an understanding about how to stay organized, how to stay on top of things. And as I said, how to lean in, not sprint, you know, because a lot of people, what they'll do is they, they blow things off, blow things off, blow things off because they're lazy, not lazy. They're procrastinating, you know, because it's it's easier to get distracted with mundane things that are mind numbing a little bit. And then till, till the till the last minute, then you sprint, causing all that stress and then you ease up again. So it's constantly sprint, relax, sprint, relax. And that takes a toll, you know, that that just gets exhausting as opposed to you just lean in. And the way you lean in is having a schedule, sticking with a schedule. And even my son was saying he schedules his downtime so he knows exactly what he wants to do in his downtime, because otherwise you, you develop some bad habits. And once you get into a bad habit again, you're going to start blowing things off. And, and so having a, a having some sort of thing, having a good schedule every day, you can lean into to keep that pace and tempo going forward at a reasonable rate. Um, and scheduling that time, you know, for work and scheduling that time for relaxation, it keeps things moving when you have a lot on your plate. And I'll tell you what, I have no idea how I got through anything in life without Google Calendar because it's my everything in life right now. <laughs> now for what you've probably been waiting for. I asked Robin all about his time at the FBI. I went into the FBI in uh, June, uh, July 6th, 1997. And I went through after FBI Academy, got assigned to New York field office in Manhattan, where I worked for about nine, 10 years. And so my entire career has been working counterintelligence. Um, and so the world of counterintelligence is basically protecting the national security of the United States. Um, there's many ways that that works, um, many facets of it. But my job in New York was basically uh, recruiting um, foreign spies to help us against their, their country. So basically, I was a spy recruiter, mostly in New York. Um, and you know, a, a attempted spy recruiter because, like, actually getting a spy to to help you is like hitting lotto. So my I call, I call buying a lotto ticket every day. So I created operations in order to, to increase my odds of uh, success. It's really, and that's a great team effort. And that's what I really learned from my friend uh, John in the book. He's called Jesse Thorne. Um, and then, luckily, you know, I got better at this. You know, again, I. I did not have this great interpersonal art form down, definitely a lifelong student of it, but my friend John did. So I just, luckily I got good enough at it that I got on our behavioral team as a, as a team member and assessor for counterintelligence. And so that's a collateral duty. It's a side job duty that you have. And so I got, did that for my entire career from that point on, from I think the probably December of 2001, I was in New York during 9-11. I had, you know, I was about five blocks away when the towers were hit. I had about an, I had an engine land about thirty feet from my car, um, So, so, but then I, I went from there. I went to Norfolk, Virginia, um, field office where I worked uh, for a couple of years again counterintelligence there, and then from there to FBI headquarters. And so I worked in a Russian program at FBI headquarters, and that's when I started writing. And from there, I was asked to go down to Quantico and start teaching this stuff. And so I go down to Quantico and I started teaching counterintelligence operations stuff and recruiting people and interviewing. And that's when I got the opportunity to take over our behavioral team. So I ran our behavioral team as the head of it for a number of years until 2013. After at 2013, I stepped down from running that because sequestration, you know, the budget stuff hit the government and my team got eliminated from one division, got moved to another. So I decided to step down and I worked back on the street as a as a case agent on the street working cases. Well, not working case, actually doing counterintelligence work here in Virginia for my last five years till I retired. 
When I think of the FBI, I think of secret agents that I see in movies on private jets living crazy lives. I was curious how much of what I thought was actually true. <laughs> it's a, it's funny. Anything that you do for a living, um, day in and day out, becomes very mundane. Um, and so it always looks different from people from the outside. I actually do not watch any crime drama movies or films um, because, you know, so I'm on a behavioral team. Um, so a lot of people try to equate it to the criminal minds guys and those guys at the BAU, the behavioral analysis units. When I ran the team, we were the BAP, behavioral analysis program, because we were specific to counterintelligence. So we didn't do criminal profiling. We didn't even do profiling. We did actually behavioral assessments and behavioral analysis because we strategized engagements with people. Um, so it's a, it's a different skill set that we were focused on. Um, but again, it's a behavioral unit. And, and is it anything like TV? Um, my operations, we, we strategize or it can be months, if not years long. <laughs> and, uh, and when you see it on TV, things take place and happen. They condense 24 hours down to about an hour and that's how they solve everything. So no, <laughs> and no private jet. I had a lot of, I had a lot of miles on United Airlines. <laughs> And so uh, that, that was the reality of it. But uh, I had a good time. I, I worked, a, I probably did, when I was running the team, probably about 90 to 100 cases, uh, assessments around the country a year I was doing, uh, all, all the national security ones. My next question. Did you have any crazy stories from your time in the FBI? <laughs> uh, there's always crazy stories. Um, I, I think probably the most interesting one, again, I, I can, I wrote about it in the book, you know, and again, everything in my book is fictionalized to protect the, protect the, 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 the real names of the innocent and people involved. But the, the fun thing in my line of work is that, you know, we're always buying that lotto ticket. We're always trying to create opportunities to, uh, to have, to create good, trusting, healthy relationships with people that can really be beneficial to our country and our national security. Um, and I started this one in New York um, in, with this one, uh, you know, Russian individual that, you know, it lasted, you know, on and off again, ne ne never, never, never fully cooperating with us at all. But boy, I tried hard for about 15, 20 years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he'd go home on, he'd go home on a break and, you know, for a couple of years, he'd come back someplace else. I'd so go say hi again. He'd go home on another thing after a couple of, I mean, so it was, it was, it was constantly relentless at uh, trying to create opportunities for him in another line of work is a good way to put it. Um, and, but a very friendly, respectful um, way, you know, because, you know, the big thing people often ask me, so how do you, how do you, how do you convince someone, you know, to be a spy for you instead of their own country? I said, you don't, you know, all you do is, is you have a great conversation, you know, with another human being you try to find out what their priorities are. You share with them what your priorities are. And then you talk about each other's resources and whether you can collaborate or not. Um, so you don't recruit anyone. You actually offer opportunities for their future prosperity if it's in line with, with yours. That's all it is. Um, you create opportunities. And that's for anyone. That's why there's no difference to me in, in what I've done for a living uh, and anyone else. Because whether you're in sales or whether you're, you're uh you know, in education or anything, we we all have priorities, ideas, and products we're trying to see if anyone else can benefit from, and and likewise, we're seeing if they have any priorities, resources, or anything that we could benefit from. And so, life is nothing but a dialogue of of you know what can we overlap and what can we exchange with each other. Um, and if you don't want to walk away, that's fine. Then I'll talk to someone else. You know, again, when you do so in a healthy way, 
where you're not trying to manipulate or lie or cheat. I mean, as soon as someone sees that coming, and we all do, human beings have a great intuitive nature about the creepy car salesman coming at them. Um, because there's an incongruence between what they're saying and what they're feeling about you. Uh, we pick up on that. So that's why you got to be genuine, be sincere, and be open and honest and transparent. And that's what uh, healthy comes from. If you have been listening to this podcast, you know my last question that I love to ask. What's the best piece of life advice that you've ever been given? Robin had a very interesting story to tell on this one. Here I am down at Paris Island, and I felt the immense weight of pressure of of the history of Paris Island and boot camp. And I didn't, and I remember we have these big, long speeches when you're about to pick up a new, uh, new series of recruits, you know, that are just coming in and they're sitting there on the floor in the squad bay about, let's see, about probably about 200 of them. And all the drill instructors make a speech. Me as a series commander, I have to make a speech and, and all the battalions watch. I mean, everyone's watching this and you can't do anything wrong because Marines are Marines and they're really anal. <laughs> and I remember going to my, my uh, series chief and dr drill instructor, um, he was a staff sergeant. I remember asking him, this is my very first time. I said, I looked at him. I said, how should I be? And he said, be yourself. They'll see through anything else. And that was great advice that I've tried to do for the rest of my life. You know, the best the best compliment um, I like that you really says I'm, I'm doing this the right way. And I, I got it yesterday when I'm working with a company I started working with. He said, man, you're so real. <laughs> and, you know, it's just so real and you're so genuine and down to earth. And that is that's the best thing I love to hear, because if you're real, people sense it. They pick up on it and people want to be around it. So that's my only bit of advice. Be you, but be a really good you. Lean in and uh, engage. Just engage. Robin and I could have talked for many more hours. He just had so much to say and was truly an incredible person. I'm excited to read his books and articles that he created. It was also just cool getting to say I've talked to a special agent in the FBI. You don't get to talk to people like that every day. Remember, tell me who you want to hear next. Just go to facebook.com slash thecareertalks or email me at jake at careertalks.co. I'll see you next time.